Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, if you're listening today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And my prayer is that the message you are about to hear will help you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook. Now, get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, as we continue our, our study on the fruit of the Spirit. We've called this series Peel because we're asking God to peel back the exterior layer of our lives and help us to see what's inside of us that, that, that we need to bring before Him and ask Him to, to grow us in. And so we're looking at these different character qualities, the qualities of Christ Himself, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And we're asking Asking the Spirit of God as a faith family to grow us in these character qualities because we know that we live in a world that desperately needs to see Christians actually living out the character of Christ. And so, so we're continuing our journey this morning uh, through this study of these different character qualities of Christ. We're asking him to grow within us. And so this morning we're looking at faithfulness and we're in Luke chapter 10 verses 38 through 42. If you're new to the Bible, Luke is not hard to find at all. Just go to the New Testament and find the first gospel, Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book in the New Testament. Testament, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. If you don't own a Bible, that's okay, because before you, in the seat before you, down the book rack, you'll find a copy of the Bible. Find uh, Luke 10, 38, 42 with us in that copy of God's Word. And if you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you, read it, and begin to learn about the God that loves you and that desires a relationship with you. So I don't know what you did this past week for President's Day. I worked because, you know, it was a Monday and I needed to get work done. Maybe many of you probably worked on President's Day as well. Some of you had the opportunity not to work, and so congratulations. I'm sure you enjoyed your day off. My kids were off school. It was a big day, right? Everybody loves President's Day, and and we should. We should be thankful for uh, the men who have led our country through some crazy times, and so it's right to stop and reflect on different presidents and all those kinds of things. And and so every year in Boston, uh, there's this auction around President's Day uh, that this auction house, they, they auction off different items uh, that, that are connected to different past presidents. And so, so this year, here was one of the things they auctioned off. Look at this picture. That's great, isn't it? You know what that is? That is the hair, the hair of George and Martha Washington. Isn't that awesome? I mean, who wouldn't want to, to go to an auction house and buy somebody's hair, right? In fact, in fact, a few years ago, uh, this same auction house, they auctioned off some lots of Abraham Lincoln's hair. You know how much they got for that? $81,000. Isn't that crazy? Now, you're probably like me. I don't know how many of you, uh, uh, you're like me. You don't have $81,000 sitting around, right? But if I had $81,000 sitting around, I I don't think somebody's hair would be what I'd buy. But at any rate, somebody purchased his hair, $81,000. Unfortunately, apparently, uh, George and Martha Washington aren't as popular or as Abraham Lincoln because their hair uh, only, um, only fetched about $31,000. But still, not a bad day's work, right? $31,000 for these locks of hair. Now, look at this beautiful golden hair right here, right? I mean, anyway, so, so, so yeah, so, but, 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 but think about it. We all want some kind of connection to history. 
the reason why someone paid $31,000 for that lock of hair is because they wanted to have a piece of history. Or $81,000 for Abraham Lincoln's hair because that person wanted a piece of history. In my office, if I were to take you to over my office right now, I, I've got two bottles that someone gave me, two bottles from 1980, two bottles of Coke when, when Georgia won the national championship. I've got two bottles of Coke that are in my office, right? Uh, I hold on to them because Georgia will probably never again win a national championship, so they're, they're precious to me, right? I have a connection to history. Someone in our church knows that, that when growing up, I was a, a huge Larry Bird fan, and so someone in our church had an autographed basketball card of Larry Bird, and they, they gave it to me. I sleep, that thing's on my nightstand. It sleeps beside me every night, you see? I mean, there's something about having a connection to history. We all want a connection to history, because our history is important to us. We, we value history. We value things of that nature. And, and, and so, so even though I've got a couple pieces of history, my Georgia, you know, Coca-Cola cans or my, my Larry Bird card, I don't know Larry Bird. He doesn't know my name. The person that bought George Washington's hair, that person doesn't know George Washington. Yes, they have a relic, a piece of history, but that's all they have, you, you see. You and I serve a God who has written history. We serve a God who right now is writing your history. And the thing about the God that is writing your history is that he knows your name. He is writing history for your purpose, for your good, and for his glory. He is writing a story of redemption, a redemptive history that he invites all of us to be a part of. His story is your story. And, and, and the story of God, right, is you know this, I don't have to tell you this, it is a story of faithfulness. Aren't you thankful? In fact, when, when Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy, he, he told Timothy, you know, that even when we are faithless, our God is still faithful to us. And I know you're thankful for that. I'm thankful that, for that, that we serve a God who has, has written our history, who is faithful to us. And, and this God who is faithful to us has placed his spirit within us and his spirit desires to grow us in faithfulness. Now, now I know that when we think about this word faithfulness, that you and I, uh, that's something we talk about a lot, being faithful. Some of these other character qualities we've talked about over the past few weeks, things like goodness and kindness, we don't typically talk about those as much as we need to, but, but every good church talks about faithfulness quite a bit. But, but here's the question as we, as we begin to dive into this idea of faithfulness, what is faithfulness. Every week we've put a definition on the table to help us to think through these different character qualities of Christ. And so here's what faithfulness is. Faithfulness is allowing the trustworthiness and dependability of Jesus, right? I know that Jesus is trustworthy. I know that he is dependable. We allow that to motivate us to be trustworthy and dependable over a long period of time. That's all it is. Faithfulness is trustworthiness. It's dependability. It's being able over the course of your life to endure life with your eyes on God. And all of us in this room, do we not, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we long to stand before Jesus one day and hear the words, what church? Well done, good and faithful servant. So, so I want to help us this morning. I want to help us understand what it means to grow in faithfulness. And we're going to look at a story that for many of you is probably a familiar story. For some of you, it might not be so familiar. But I think this story is going to help us to understand what faithfulness looks like. So take your Bibles, Luke 10, 
38 through 42, Luke 10, 38 through 42. I want to show you from this story this morning, three commitments, three commitments that you and I need to make this morning to be a people who are growing in faithfulness to our God. Take your Bibles, Luke 10, 38 through 42. Go ahead and rise your feet as we honor the reign of God's word together. Luke 10, 38 through 42, this is what the Bible says. While they were traveling, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken away from her. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning, for time to be together in your word. And Father, we, we long to grow in faithfulness because I, I know that, that my brothers and sisters in this room, they're like me. We want to stand before your presence and we want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And so Father, help us this morning to understand what it means to grow in faithfulness, to, to, to be like your son, to be dependable and trustworthy for the sake of the gospel. Father, in this room this morning, we're trusting that you're going to do a work, a work of your spirit in our lives. So help us now in these moments to, to listen carefully to what you're saying to us and to respond in faith and obedience and ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. You, you probably know this, but, but you know, in the days in which Jesus lived, it, it wasn't like today. I mean, it wasn't like you could, you know, take a trip somewhere and, 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 and get on TripAdvisor and check out all the reviews for the different hotels you could stay in or it wasn't like you had Airbnb and you could just go online and, and rent a room or whatever the case may be. There wasn't DoorDash or any of those things. And so, so if you lived in this culture and you traveled, more than likely you were dependent upon friends, family members to take you in as you traveled and, and to put you up. You were dependent on the hospitality of other people. In fact, at the beginning of this chapter, Jesus tells a lot of his followers, listen, go on out. I'm going to send you out, and you're going to prepare the way for me in some other places. And so he sends out his followers to different towns. He says, now, when you go, don't take anything with you, with you right? Don't take, you know, money, clothes, just, just, just go. And people are going to provide for you as you come into these different towns. And so this idea of hospitality. In fact, Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 9, The Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. Jesus, this traveling itinerant preacher, this rabbi from Nazareth, as he traveled all across Galilee and down in Judea and Jerusalem area, Bethany, he was dependent upon people. His followers were dependent on people to take them in and care for them. And and so now in this story, Jesus and his disciples have come to the small town of Bethany. Bethany is, is just across from Jerusalem, right around the, in the Mount of Olives area. And, and in this village lived three people that you probably know. You, you've heard about them before if you've, you know, been to church a few times. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now, the text doesn't give us all the details. We, we don't know exactly how Jesus met this family, these siblings. We, we, don't, we don't know how he came across them and his, his travels, but apparently he, he built a pretty cr- close relationship with them. And, and so here he is, and he's there with his disciples, and, and he, he comes to their home. Tired, been traveling for some time. And when he comes to their home, it, it's a typical sight. It's what you would expect in a home that has opened up their doors for guests. Martha, she's getting everything ready. 
you know the story. She's running around the kitchen trying to make sure everything is just right, making sure dinner is prepared, making sure everyone who walks through those doors has, has everything that they need. And, and to be honest, if, if you were to look at Martha and you were to see the way that she served, how hard she worked, all the things that she was doing to make sure that Jesus and his disciples felt right at home, you and I, we would look at her and we would say what? She is the epitome of faithfulness. I mean, look at her. Look at how hard she works. And, and, and especially in our culture, we, we, we lift high people who work hard. We like hardworking people. And this is what Martha was. She was, she was hardworking. I mean, to look at her, she, again, she was the epitome of faithfulness as she moved around that home. And, and, and I, I know you've been there before. You probably had this experience like I did when you were growing up. And, and, and maybe you like me. I mean, for most Sundays after church when I was growing up, especially as a, a little kid, we'd go to my grandma's house and get Sunday lunch at my grandma's house. If you had that experience, you know what that was like. You'd gather after church and you were waiting there for the meal and, and grandma was nowhere to be found in the living room because she was hard at work in the kitchen. You didn't talk to grandma much while she was, while she was cooking. She was working. But then you would enjoy the feast. You would enjoy the, the bounty of her efforts. And, and I kinda, can kind of imagine this is what's going on in, in this home on, on this afternoon. Martha is so busy. She's running around trying to get things done, making sure that, that everyone is taken care of. She is the epitome of, of hospitality. She is the epitome of faithfulness. She is the epitome of a servant. And, and you know, like I do, she's the kind of woman we want to hang around with because she, we know that she'll take care of us. She's the kind of woman we want to be a part of our church because we know that she'll work hard in different ministries. She's the kind of woman that we all like, that we all even want to be like in some ways. And so there she was, hard at work. And so while Martha is the very epitome of, of a servant, the very epitome of, of faithfulness, the very epitome of hospitality, on the other hand, her sister in this moment looks to be the very opposite of everything that Martha is. Mary looks lazy. I mean, there's so much going on. Who knows how many were there that day? I mean, I, I don't know if all 12 of the disciples were there with Jesus. I don't know if, if different family members were coming through to just kind of get a glimpse of Jesus or people were peeking in the window. To, I don't know who all was there that day. But I'm sure it was a big deal because Jesus doesn't come to your house a lot. And Mary? Mary? I mean, there's, there's much to be done. But Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus acting like there's nothing to be done. And, and, and I can imagine that as, as Martha passes by several times, that every time she sees Mary, and, and as she sees Mary not getting up, but just lingering at the feet of Jesus, every time she sees Mary, she gets more and more frustrated. And you can imagine just within her, the anger that's starting to build. I mean, after all, this is Mary's house as well. Mary has a responsibility as well to be hospitable, but she doesn't seem to be hospitable at all. And, 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 and finally, there comes a point where Martha just can't take it anymore. And, and look at what she says. This is interesting to me. You, you see in, in the text we read just a moment ago, you come down and you look at verse 40, but Martha was distracted by her task and she came up and she asked, Lord, don't you care? Just let me help you understand something. It, it's typically not 
a good idea to accuse Jesus of having an uncaring heart. Right? Don't you care? Don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her. Jesus, come on. Tell her to do something. And Jesus looks at her and responds. Now now think about this. Martha's the kind of person we all like. She's the kind of person we prize in our culture. She's the kind of person you want in a church like this, serving in every way. She was not expecting what Jesus would say. In fact, when Jesus said these words to her in this moment, I imagine her jaw dropped and she was absolutely shocked at what Jesus said. Martha, Martha, you're worried. You're anxious. I'm not telling her to get up. She's doing the one thing that is necessary. The the one thing that's necessary. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, after all, you look around the house and you see all that's necessary. There are people to feed. There's a table to set. There are feet to wash. She's sitting here. She's doing the one thing necessary. but, But then Jesus goes on to say, I'm not taking it away from her. This moment, she's doing what's best. And how those words in that moment probably stung Martha's heart and and how bewildered she must have been. I mean, she was just sitting around. What do you mean? This is the one thing necessary. And, and, And let's be honest, here you have Martha and what she looks like is the epitome of everything that we want to see in a follower of Jesus. Faithful, serving, right? Hospitable. I mean, this is good. She's everything you want to see. But as we dive into the text and see how Jesus responds to her, what we see was on the exterior. But when you begin to peel back and look at Martha's heart, something was wrong. You see? I mean, when you'll come to Jesus and and make an accusation where you say, don't you care? That's a pretty good indicator that you're not thinking rightly about Jesus. Jesus. That something's wrong on the inside. And, and in this moment, I believe that, that, that there were some sinful attitudes within Martha that were actually keeping her from being faithful to Jesus. She looks faithful, but as we'll see as the story develops, she's not as faithful as she seems. There were some hard attitudes, some sinful hard attitudes that were actually pulling her away from Jesus. And so, so here's a commitment that every one of us need to make this morning in this room. And I know this is super simple. You've heard a preacher like me say this a million times, but come on, hear it again, right? Here's the first commitment. I have to stop letting my sinful attitudes pull me away from Jesus. Because that's the reality. Because I know in this room, I mean, I'm, I'm a part of this church. I, I see you in action on a regular basis. And honestly, if we're real honest with each other, and, and you know, let's not let this get out, but I, I can't think of many other churches in our area that are as active as we are. You do a good job. You do a good job of, of being servants in our community. To have, I don't know how many people we have right now sign up for our March 6th event, but it's a lot. Uh, honestly, the place we're going to, they don't know what to do with us all. That's a good thing. And I applaud you for that, right? But, but, But just because you're busy serving and doing doesn't necessarily mean that you're actually doing what God wants you to do. And, and, and if, if God were to 
pull back the layers and let you this morning see your heart, would he reveal to you a heart that's actually faithful? You see? And I wonder for you if there are some sinful attitudes that are actually pulling you away from faithfulness to God. Things like a distracted heart. You're you're busy. You're doing lots of good things. Lots of church things. And again, all those things are necessary and needed. But distracted. Distracted to the point where you're not doing the one thing that's necessary. Or or a self-pitying heart. You see, here's what's going on. You know what Martha wanted because it's the same thing you and I want too. Martha just wanted somebody to look at her and say, good job. I see what you're doing. I appreciate you. We all want that. We all want a pat on the back. We all want someone to say to us, I see you. In fact, for many of us in this room, we do so much, we serve so much, we're so active and and we're saying to each other and, and honestly, we're saying to God, Look at me. Look at me. God, appreciate my service to you. Appreciate what I'm doing. Appreciate all the hours I put in. I I don't know if you like to cook. I I enjoy cooking. And so usually on the weekends, when I have a little more time at home, I I like to do the cooking on the weekends. And so so Friday night, uh, we were at the house and and I didn't want to go to the store. I had some things in mind that I wanted to cook, but I didn't want to make the trip to the store. And so I was looking in the freezer, looking in the pantry to see, you know, what I could throw together for dinner. And so so as I was looking in the pantry and and getting things together, I had this this idea. I wanted to to try to make, I haven't made it before, I want to try to make a a, a pan-seared, um, honey glazed chicken is what I was going to do. That sounds really good, right? And so I got all the ingredients out that I wanted to use. I got out some garlic, the honey, obviously, a little bit of soy sauce and some butter and some other things, some flour. And so I, I got to work in the kitchen. And, and you can ask my family, when, when I'm in the kitchen working, I ask them not to come in the kitchen. Leave me alone in the kitchen. Don't come through the kitchen. This is my territory right now. Stay out, stay away. I'm working, right? And so I'm in there in the kitchen trying to get dinner ready. And, and it took a little longer because I didn't know what I was doing. I would not made this before. And so I was trying to figure it out as I went along. And, and it just took a little longer than I thought it would take. And so finally, after, you know, 14 hours of dinner prep, I, 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 I put it on the table. We sat down and it, it smelled wonderful. The, the aroma filled the house, this, this honey glaze. It looked appetizing. I mean, it looked great. And as we sat down, we started eating and I, I took a couple bites. I, mean, I was pretty proud of myself, pretty good, right? I mean, not, not bad at all. And, and Stacy seemed to enjoy it. And, and so one of my kids, I'm not going to say which one, one of my kids piped up because, you know, kids just always say the right thing at the right time. And one of my kids said, Dad, good job trying to cook. Like, trying to cook? Like, I didn't try, I did it. Right, whether you like it or not, ain't my problem, but I didn't try, I did it. It's on the table, you don't have to pay for it. You don't, trying to cook? I just want some appreciation. When I put that meal on the table, I just want somebody to say, Dad, this was awesome. You worked really hard. We all want that. Look at me. Look at me. But the problem with that attitude is if we're not careful, a look at me attitude actually is a sinful attitude. Focus on me. Focus on all that I do right. Focus on my good. When Jesus is saying to Martha and to Mary, really, and to everybody in the house that day, no, 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 look at me. Look at who I am. Look at what I'm gonna do for you, right? Or think about this, right? Be of a resentful heart because that's what happened. Martha on that day, she was busy doing all those things that that looked right. And on the inside, she was growing more and more resentful toward her sister. 
you've been there before too. You work your tail off, you do so much, and you look around at others who aren't, and you're thinking, what's their problem? You should be more like me. If you worked as hard as I worked, then we would get something accomplished. And, and before you know it, you're resentful towards that person who isn't doing what you think they should do. And, and let's just be honest, th- these attitudes, this, this self-pitying, this heart of resentment, this heart of distraction, it, it characterizes all of us at one time or the other. And, and if we're not careful, uh, these sinful attitudes, they will absolutely pull us away from faithfulness to God. But on the other hand, you have Mary. It's first commitment, first commitment. I want us to make a commitment this morning to really examine our hearts and see those sinful attitudes that pull us away from Jesus. But I also want you to get serious about devotion to Jesus. I told you this was easy, but so hard. What's interesting to me is you've got all this commotion going on. Martha's working. I imagine that over in the corner, you've got a few of the disciples talking. Over in the other corner, you've got a few more disciples talking. All this is going on. And, and Martha seems to be the epitome of faithfulness. She's doing all the right things. It looks like she is. But there's only one person in the house that actually has their eyes focused on Jesus. And this is rare. I mean, Jesus started ministering when he was, what, around 30 years old and died and rose again when he was 33 and ascended and gone back up to be with the Father. The time that that Jesus had on this earth was short. And I don't know what Mary knew, but she wasn't going to waste the time. Sometimes dinner can wait, right? And Mary knows it. And so there she is, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, again, I know this is all all basic kind of stuff, but but come on in close and, and let's just walk through this because I think there's somebody in this room that needs this reminder this morning. Notice her posture. She sat. Now I can imagine it again. I don't know if this is exactly how it happened, but, but in my mind's eye, I see this grown woman sitting Indian style at the feet of Jesus. She sat. A posture of submission, putting herself under the lordship of Jesus. She sat. She focused which is amazing in and of itself because so much is going on in the house. There's so much commotion. Martha's running around and you have disciples over here talking, disciples over here talking, people probably walking by trying to look in the window to see who this Jesus guy is. And and all the while, while all this is going on, Mary doesn't move. She's focused. She sits, she's focused, and she listens. Oh, this is so good. I don't know. You don't either. I don't know the conversation they were having. I mean, Luke doesn't give us that information. Uh, Luke probably didn't know the conversation they were having. But I imagine what they weren't talking about. I imagine they weren't talking about the weather in Jerusalem. I imagine they weren't talking about the local football team in Bethany. You see what I'm saying? What I do imagine is that as, as Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and as she listened, I believe that Jesus was probably telling her the same thing he had told the disciples, the plan. Mary, you're not going to believe this. So come in real close and listen to me. I'm going to go to a cross. And I'm going to die for you because I love you. And because your sin separates you from God, I'm going to take care of that for you. I'm going to die for you. But don't be sad, Mary. 
because I'm going to rise again. And all of your sins are going to be forgiven, and you're going to be given, Mary. You're going to be given. Can you imagine hearing these words from Jesus? In the flesh. You're going to be given the gift, Mary. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do anything for it. I'm going to give you the gift of eternal life. Just believe me. It's amazing. It's amazing what you'll hear when you actually begin to sit still and listen to what Jesus has to say. And, and, and let's just be honest. Here's what I know. I know that in this room there are so many of us, myself included at times, who do a lot of stuff as busy as busy can be, and lots of good stuff. But, but I bet you there are some of us in this room this morning that we don't remember the last time we actually heard God's voice. You're too busy. The only exposure to the word of God you have is when you show up on Sunday mornings. And then you wonder, why am I not growing in my faith? Why do I feel like something's missing? Why do I feel like I'm not where I need to be in my walk with the Lord? You wonder. But yet you and I, we haven't taken the time just to sit and to, to focus and to listen. We have the exterior of being faithful. But on the inside, you all feel it. I feel it at times. We know we're not where we need to be. And so, so then faithfulness, right? You know, you, you know this. Faithfulness is not just doing a lot of Jesus stuff. Faithfulness is what? Faithfulness is taking time to sit and hear God's voice so that you will go and do exactly what he says. If you have not heard God's voice, you can't be faithful to his voice. You see what I'm saying? I wonder what would happen. I wonder what would happen because in those moments, I know what happened in that room. Mary let Jesus know that she knew he was the most important person in the room. And I wonder this morning, even in this room, if we're letting Jesus know that we believe that he's the most important person in the room. We're busy. But busyness does not equal faithfulness. Faithfulness is what? Putting myself at the master's feet to listen to his voice so that I might hear his voice and respond in faith. And I, and I tell you, and I know we're going to run out of time, but, but just bear with me for a moment. Here's what I know. It doesn't take much for us to get a couple hundred people together and go uh, to a, an organization and, and bless them for a day. And again, that's a good thing. It doesn't take much for us to do that because we have people who want to serve, and I praise God for that. But when we start to ask for people to come together on a Sunday night to pray, there'll be 10 of us here. We want to do, but we're not as concerned about actually being in God's presence and hearing his voice together. Do you see what I'm saying? And so for all of us, it's just a commitment. I, I want to show my devotion to Jesus because as, as I'm devoted to Jesus, faithfulness, it always grows out of a devoted heart. But let me show you one last thing in the text. Let's just show the world who Jesus is. Oh, this is, this is where it gets so good. You have this story in Luke chapter 10. Again, we weren't there. I don't know all the things that Jesus told Mary that day, but, but I am sure that he told Mary the plan. What was going to happen in the days ahead? Sometime later, Jesus is going to come back to Mary and Martha's house. Fascinating story. John chapter 12. 
John chapter 11, right? You know that story where um, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. That's a pretty big deal. They're back. Back in Bethany. Familiar scene. Getting ready for a dinner party. Now imagine that on that particular day, when, when they were there in that home, Jesus and Lazarus and Mary and Martha, I imagine that all eyes were on Lazarus. Because if, if you were raised from the dead, people would want to talk to you. You understand? Now, I'm sure there were people asking, hey, what was it like? What was it like to be dead and to come back to life? And what was all that like? And so all this attention on, on Lazarus, I'm imagining, that, that, that they're just wondering, you know, what, what took place and how it happened and all of that. And then, and then it happens. This same woman that sat at the feet of Jesus sometime earlier walks in again. But this time when she walks in, she's carrying what? Do you remember the story? Nard. Every woman's favorite scent. Nard. And she brings that nard, this costly perfume that that was worth at least a year's worth of salary in those days. And she brings that perfume and she she breaks it over Jesus. It's not how you use perfume. You use it one drop at a time. but, But she pours the whole bottle over him and she begins to wash his feet with her hair and, and the aroma begins to fill the room and, and you, you know what happens when, when that much aroma is in the room. I mean, people are starting to pass out and fan themselves. Nobody likes that much perfume. And then Judas speaks up. What a wasteful woman. Doesn't, doesn't she know that we could have sold that and, and, and used all that money to, to feed the poor? And then Jesus speaks up. Leave her alone. Why? so good, so good. Because Mary knew. Mary knew. What did Jesus say to her? She's prepared my body for burial. She knows. She knows who I am. You are guys, y'all are hard-headed. Y'all still ain't got it. But this woman right here who has sat at my feet and listened to me and has devoted herself to me, she knows because she's taken the time to do the one thing necessary to come before me and to hear that I am the faithful one who's going to go to a cross and die and rise again for her and for the entire world. And if you think about it, this was a bold declaration of faith. When Mary walks back into that room carrying that expensive nard and when she breaks it over the feet of Jesus and begins to wash his feet with her hair, she's letting everybody in that room know what? I know who he is. I know this is my king. This is my Lord. This is my savior. I know. You see, you can't help it. When you've been in the presence of Jesus and you know how good it is, you can't help but tell the world This is my king. But that grew out of a heart devoted. Devoted to the one who would lay down his life for her. So just a few questions, right? I have to show the world who Jesus is. And so so who are you showing the world that you trust? And what are you showing the world that you prioritize? And what kingdom are you showing the world that you are trying to build? You see what I'm saying? That, that, That real faithfulness does what? 
Real faithfulness doesn't point to ourselves and say, look at what good servants we are. Look, look at how hard we work. Look at all the things we're doing. Real faithfulness does what? It points people to Jesus. Look at the faithful one. Look at the one who has died and rose from the dead for you, for me. Look, that's faithfulness. Faithfulness is simply pointing people to the Savior. And so here we are. You know, we just want to ask you this morning, what about you? What is faithfulness to you? Is it showing up? Doing some church things every Sunday? Or for you, is faithfulness, is it taking the time to know the one who died and rose again for you so that you might show the world how glorious he is. And, and, and so for many of us in this room, now come on, you know this to be true. For many of us in this room this morning, the response needs to be, God, help me. Help me to be faithful. Faithful to come before your presence. Faithful to know you. Faithful to point people to you. And so I, I think for, for many of us this morning, this could be a moment of great realization. Well, maybe for many of us, we realize that, that, that our definition of faithfulness isn't really what God shows us as faithfulness in his word. It's, it's not just showing up. It's getting to know the one who loves you and then responding to him in obedience. And this morning, as we close our time together, maybe you want to come and, and ask God to help you to be faithful. Faithful to know him, and faithful to make him known. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never experienced the salvation that comes in relationship with the faithful one. This morning, know. Know that Jesus died for you. He's faithful to you. He died for your sins and rose again from the dead three days later so you can have the gift of eternal life. And this morning, if you'll place your faith in him, if you'll trust in his death and resurrection, he will change you. He will save you. He'll forgive you of your sins and he'll give you the gift of eternal life. In the corners of this room, there are two crosses. And maybe you're here in this room this morning and you realize that you've never placed your faith in Jesus. This morning, come to the one. Come to the one who is faithful for you, who did what you could not do, who lived a perfect life for you, who died in your place, taking the punishment for your sin upon himself and rose again from the dead so you can have life abundant and eternal. If you want to place your faith in Jesus this morning, go to one of those crosses. There'll be someone there who's ready to receive you, to pray with you, and help you begin a relationship with Jesus. I'll be down front. I'd love to pray with you as well. If you just want to come and pray and ask God to help you to grow in faithfulness, you come. However, the Spirit of God is leading you this morning. You come as of a time of invitation together. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. And thank you, Jesus, that you're faithful. Help us to desire faithfulness, desire to be devoted to you, to sit at your feet, to listen, to learn, to respond, to show the world your faithfulness to us. For that man or woman who's here in this room this morning, who's never placed his faith or her faith in you, I pray that person would come this morning and trusting you as Lord. For that person who's watching online right now, who's never experienced the grace of Jesus Christ, the gift of salvation, I pray that person today who's watching online will give his life or her life to Jesus. For those of us who are followers of yours, Father, lead us to be a faithful people, people who are consumed with a passion to know you, to live in intimacy with you. In these moments, Father, we're trusting that you're having your way in our hearts. Help us respond now in faith and obedience. 
and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and rise to your feet. As we time an invitation together, you come now as the Spirit of God leads you.